Hi, I'm Isra Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Wednesday, February 1st. The Grammys are this Sunday on CBS. I'll be there. It's definitely the most fun of the major award shows to attend, and it's famously one of the most difficult shows to produce. It's live, of course. It's packed with elaborate performances, collaborations between artists who sometimes don't even know each other. They've all got egos, entourages to manage, and you never know when a Kanye will derail the whole thing. I try to go to the Grammys most years, and I remember being there when Adele stopped her performance and started swearing live on CBS. That was a nightmare situation for the producers, but it's a normal gig for Ben Winston. Ben is doing his third Grammys, and he's even though he's still in his early 40s, he's arguably become the number one producer these days for live events and specials. He and his company, Fullwell 73, did that great Adele special, the Griffith Observatory, the Friends Reunion, the Elton John concert on Disney+, and he's done one-offs for artists like Harry Styles, Bruno Mars, Sam Smith, Justin Bieber, tons of other stuff. That's in addition to his day job, the thing that brought him to the U.S. He's executive producer of The Late Late Show with James Corden, which he's wrapping up this April after eight years and hundreds of carpool karaoke segments. He's got 12 Emmys and produces the Kardashians reboot on Hulu, so send him hate mail for that. But he's the perfect person to talk about the future of live events and talk shows, how to make these formats feel fresh, dealing with so many super difficult people, and what to expect from the Grammys this Sunday. No call sheet today, but I've got a prediction within the interview. It's a fun one. So from The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Ben Winston, who is a partner in Fullwell 73, the production company and executive producer of the Grammy Awards. Welcome, Ben. We've wanted to have you on for a while. Well, thank you. I'm very honored to be here, Matt. All right, so I got a lot of questions for you, but let's start with the Grammys because I have heard for years, and it, it goes predates you, you've been doing this three years, that the Grammys is the most difficult award show to produce and one of the most difficult live shows of any kind to produce. So you're doing it for the third time now. Is that true? And if so, why? Well, listen, I, it's it's hard for me to say because obviously I'm making it, but I, I would argue... And I think, and I said this before I took it over, to be fair, so it's not a new thing. I would say it's the hardest show on television to produce by quite some way. Because firstly, you're on air for three and a half hours. That is a long old time to be on TV. A lot can go wrong. A lot can go wrong. But also, (laughs) everything that you're filming, you are creating. If you're filming the Super Bowl, you're filming the Queen's funeral, or you're filming anything like that, 
the event is taking place and you're just filming it. We actually have to create the event. We have to book that show. You have 19 performances or, you know, if you include the memoriams and the tributes and all of those 19 acts, everybody's an A-lister because it's the Grammys. And so mm-hmm. therefore, if they're on the Grammys, they're naturally, even if they're not an A-lister in their head, they're definitely an A-lister. Right. And therefore, with that comes demands. With that comes a huge team. Some people will have a 100 choir. Some people will have 10 people in a band. Some people will have dancers. You've got to time it so that their sets are built. You've got three minutes to build that Lady Gaga set. As soon as she walks off stage, you've immediately only got an award and a commercial break before you need to build Harry Styles' set. Plus the pressure of everyone having an opinion on the Grammys and the fact that it's network television. But Fundamentally, also, you've still got everything that the Oscars and the Emmys have because you've also got the packages and the awards on top of all that stress of the performances. So, yeah, I I always feel like I say this when you're about to go live, I feel like you're walking towards a cliff and you're never really sure if you're going to just fall flat on your face or you're going to fly. And that's that feeling that you have all the way through that three and a half hours. But the stress of managing that backstage train station feeling of everybody running around and everything on a clock and you've got to get off air on exactly three and a half hours yeah it's i i I can't think of a tougher show in television with the pressure that comes with it wow and you produce the kardashians (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's definitely more stressful than the kardashians i can promise you i mean the egos though let's talk about the egos because when you're producing a show like the grammys Everybody's, as you said, brings their own baggage to the show. And like, for instance, the opening act. I assume the most coveted act, the most coveted placement is opening the show, correct? Um, I would say opening is big. I would say 9 p.m. is big. I'd say on the hours are often big. Um, yeah, because that's when the viewership spikes because people check it out when they're watching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Because although the op- I mean, the opening act is huge because it's a big honor. And everybody remembers who opens the Grammys. Um, but yeah, look, there's a lot of selling in my job. There's a lot of selling of going. And I run this with Raj Kapoor, who's the showrunner uh, with us. And so there's a, <clears throat> we do a lot of like, you know, explaining why things are great. I also think that there is just the fundamental logistics of it. If somebody's building a huge house on the stage with fire, it's going to take longer to build. So you can't go there because we can't get it down in time for the next sure. act. Right. It's a logistical nightmare of it. I actually don't think the egos are so bad. I think that they, it's not really that. I think everybody wants to fight their corner and you have to just handle it as honestly and as best you can with everybody. Um, and I always just am really honest with all the artists and just say, you know, we're just trying to do our best and we won't always get it right. And we often don't get it right. But um, but more often than not, I think we do. And 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 so, yeah, I haven't found the ego so bad at all. I I definitely find it's a really difficult show to manage. That's for we sure. want you to play the hit. The artist wants to play the obscure track that uh, he wants to make a hit. Yeah, that happens more on late night than it does on <laughs> right. On the Grammys, uh, usually the offer is, I mean, it depends who the artist is, but usually the offer is you'll go to um, X and you will say, I'd love you to play this. And they'll go, sure. You know, like we were talking with Harry Styles about what he was going to play. And actually, I had a di- slightly different suggestion at one point. And he was like, no, no, as it was, is the hit. That's what I'm nominated for record and song and everything else for. Right. That's the one we're going to play. And of course, you'll go, yeah, 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 absolutely. That's brilliant. And, and well, and your and- buds with him, you go back, you can have that conversation. I feel like relationships are key here, which is one of the reasons why they hire a guy like you, because you have relationships with everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. I, I Yes, I would also hope that it's because I'm all right at the job. But uh, <laughs> That too, but- that too. 
I mean, the, the truth is these shows do have less leverage than they once did. I mean, getting a spot on the Grammys when the audience was 20 million plus people is a little different these days than when the audience is not that. And I I always think about you because when I watch these shows that you do, which are generally, I will say, better than shows that are not produced by you. I mean, if you look at the Adele special that you did, fantastic show. If you look at the Grammys the past few years, great shows. you got great reviews. But the audience is going to go down almost guaranteed because of the way that linear television is these days. In fact, the people are not watching these shows as much. How does that make you feel as someone who is sort of the king of this realm right now and the realm is getting smaller? It depends how you look at it. If you sure. want to look at it, if you want to look at it as if you're living in 2015, then it's terrible and it's morbid and it's awful. If you want to look at it how I look at it, which is I make television, whether it be a late night show or an award show or an Adele special or a friends reunion or whatever it might be, and you look at it as a moment of entertainment and people will come to it whenever they want to come to it, which is the way the world works now, then I don't think it's as awful as you're saying. Mm. The thing I think about the award shows, and I'm going to talk specifically about the Grammys because you say I'm the king of this. I only actually make the Grammy is the only award show I make. I mean, I do a lot of other stuff, but yes, the, and the stuff you do tends to break through. I will say no, that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. But I would say that the Grammys itself is a, there's always a rod that hits the Grammys because every year people love to say in 2017, it was 20 million. And last year it was 10 million. How terrible. And it's so easy because it's a one-off event. Once a year, you can look at it in 2018 and it only happened once. 2019 only happened once. If you look at the biggest sitcom on CBS back in 2017, it's getting 25 million. You look at it today and their biggest sitcom is getting five. But because it's been, because their sitcoms are on every single day, it's this slow slope of decline. So nobody talks about it. Whereas the award shows are once a year. So it's easy for pundits and people or podcasts or articles to go, the Grammys is down. What a terrible disaster. Here's the difference. The difference is last year's show, according to NetBase, Last year's show had 94 billion impressions on social media of people watching our clips. 94 billion. A sitcom doesn't have that. The news doesn't have that. A documentary doesn't have that. And so therefore, when I am looking at our show, if I'm only to look at linear ratings, I'm ignoring Paramount Plus, which is important in this, in the future of Viacom CBS being part of the Grammys, and you're ignoring the way people watch television just to hit the Grammys and the Recording Academy because it's an easy target. Whereas if you look into it, fundamentally, more people are watching our show than ever before. I want to use one example of this. Two years ago, Harry Styles, and as you say, I do have a great relationship with him, he opened the Grammys. He wore a feather boa that night. (laughs) Two years on. Of course he did. Last night, I went to the forum, and I've been to quite a few of his shows, and I would say 70% of the audience wear a feather boa when he's on stage. Harry Styles has worn a feather boa once in his entire career. And that was when he opened the Grammys. So if we're going to say that only the 10 million people who watched that night two years ago during COVID saw that, then why the hell are millions of people all over the globe wearing a feather boa whenever Harry Styles comes on stage? And the impact of the Grammys, the fact that when, God forbid, any of us die, if it's if we've won a Grammy, it's going to be in the first line of your obituary. The performances are going to be talked about the next day. Everybody's going to share that music. Numbers will be up on our streaming services. but. The old-fashioned people will go, oh, but you're down 3%. We've moved on. Television's moved on, and it's about... Well, the monetization, though. 
you still the monetization needs to catch up because you can get a billion impressions and it's pennies for the network dollars. So you know all this. I mean, we we've talked about it a bunch on the show. Absolutely. And late night is a good example of that. And we should talk about that later. Yeah. Because we worked out how to do that. And you're right. The, the award shows and the recording economy, that's what we need to work out. But what we can't say is it doesn't have an impact because that is belittling the show. And that's why everybody will be there come Sunday night. Uh, we will see it. So what are you doing differently this year? You've done three shows. The first was the COVID year, which you did a great job with what you had, but it, it you know, it's missing an audience. Uh, <laughs> then you did Vegas last year because LA had some COVID issues as well. This year's the first time in LA, no COVID restrictions. How's the show going to be different? We've got some great performances lined up, some great tributes lined up. Um, we have a story going on with this album of the year award that I think we're going to build up to all night. I don't think there's ever been an award category like album of the year with this much star power that I'm not sure I can call when you've got Adele, Beyonce, Bad Bunny, Kendrick Lamar, Harry Styles, Lizzo, you know, and then Mary J. Blige and Brandy Carlisle and Coldplay and Abbott all going up against each other. I, I, I genuinely, especially when it's the Grammys where sometimes there are winners who you just don't expect. I think Craig, Craig's rooting for ABBA. Did you know that ABBA is like a thing with young people now these days? I, 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 well, I'm discovering it because one of the things that we're doing is we're going to build up to album of the year all night. And we're going to be featuring a lot of fans uh, who are going to be talking about their favorite album of the year. And I think that's going to be quite a, a smart, cool idea. We're going to get people who matter to the artists to introduce them, which I think could be really beautiful. Last year, we had crew introducing artists. The year before, we had... People who owned venues uh, who had been out of business for so long, they gave the Grammys to the stars. And I think we, tr we always try and think about the show in the most sort of entertaining way, but also grab people by telling stories of it. Because I was very aware when I first started watching the Grammys, when I came to America, I didn't know much about country music. I didn't know much about Americana. There was American artists I didn't know. And I would be watching the, the Grammys and I would see the people I knew, but there'd also be the people that, I was like, who the heck is this? And I think we have to accept that that is the case still to this day. A lot of Americans might not know who Steve Lacey is or, you know, they might not know. Luke no, it's Cone. even worse than ever because we're all in our little content bubbles. Right. So I think that what we've got to try and do is make the relationship with the artist better with the audience. And therefore, you will enjoy the performance a little bit more. So those are the things that we're we're looking at. Trevor Noah is hosting again. He's phenomenal. Um and we're sitting at tables, which I always think makes it a better atmosphere. It feels like a real fun room. Yeah. So, like, where are you during the show? Like, what are you doing? Yeah, well, this is where I'm slightly different, I think, to other EPs of mm -hmm. other similar shows. Um, in America, the tradition is the EP, the executive producer, is side of stage. And they're pressing the flesh, and they're moving things around, and they're right in the thick of it. Um British EPs are in the truck or the control room or the gallery, whatever you want to call it. And that's where I always go because I always think, how can you produce a show if you can't hear it and see it and feel it? And I also think that I like being in the calm of a truck where I can sit with the director. I have comms. If we want it to be a little bit brighter, I can calmly say to Noah, our lighting director, we want that. If I want to cut an item from the show because it's running too heavy, I can turn to the person who's on the prompter and speak in Trevor's ear. and say, So I'm in Trevor's ear for the whole show. I'm sitting next to the director and I'm in comms with Raj, who's side of stage and on the floor. But I always like being in a truck, which is a bit unusual to other EPs, but I don't like to be near the action. I don't think that helps. I think other people are there to shepherd people in and out and organize things. And your stage managers are there to get, I get too stressed being in amongst that environment. I want to be in the calm. And essentially 
control. Uh, it is the control room. You can control every element of the show from one seat and you can see exactly what the viewers see. And I always want to see what the viewers see because then I can judge how to make it better. Are you the only voice in Trevor's ear? Yes. Give us an example of something you would say to him. Do you suggest jokes? Do you say something funny just happened over here? You should comment on it. Or do you just say, get out, get out, get out of this now? That's a good question. Um, I might notice something he hasn't and therefore pitch that in his ear. He's very, very good at taking stuff live in his ear. So I will actually have a conversation with him in his ear. If he makes a joke and he's still talking, I'll be like, I'll actually open my mic and laugh. So like, and he can take that. I don't, I think he quite likes it. Often it'll be like, need you to be a little bit quicker here. Try, try and get this done in 10 or I'll give him a hard count. Um, sometimes I'm like, Lady Gaga set isn't ready. I need you to fill for a minute. And, I'll, and while he's doing it, I'll be like, thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Or I'll go, great, great. Or I'll say, oh, Adele's on your left shoulder. Turn around, Adele's on your left shoulder. Um, we also have the storyline of Beyonce on the night because she's nominated for nine awards. If she wins three, she equals the most Grammys ever won by anybody. If she wins four, then she beats it. Um, so I'll also be like, so that's a good example where I'll be like, if she was to win an award, I'll be like, she needs one more to break the record. And I would put that in his ear and then he would say it. Um, so we have a really good communication throughout the show. And then we'll chat in the breaks and I'll give feedback on it. But uh, it's a really lovely relationship. Some hosts can't take stuff in the area. And you know that if you would speak in the area, you'd throw them. James and Trevor are two examples of hosts who like it and enjoy it and don't get thrown by it. Hmm. But I'm definitely, I, 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 when I first came to America, I went side of stage because that was the tradition of what you did. And I really didn't enjoy it. I couldn't, I felt like I was just, yeah, I was surrounded by famous people, but I didn't right. enjoy it. I was like, that's what the after party is for. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> would come to you because everyone's like looking for you and they're saying, Hey, we want to change this, or I'm not happy. I didn't win that. And you're like, I'm making a show. And so now I can fully focus on it. I can hear everything clean, calm, organized. And there isn't a single department that I can't reach in a really calm way to change something when I needed to. And, and like. importantly, if they're pissed off about something, they can't come and complain to you in person. Security is on the door of the truck. <laughs> Raj, that's the great thing. Raj Kapoor, my partner in this, and Jesse Collins, they are right there. So if any of the people who are going to be at the Grammys on Sunday night, if you have any complaints during the show, please find Raj and Jesse. You right. will not be able to find me. Excellent. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Do you think the Globes successfully came back from their scandal this year? 
I thought I, I was shocked by how unbelievably they did. If you had told me three weeks before the Globes, and I listen to your pod every day, the doomsday reckoning of you saying the Globes is dead, and you have Steven Spielberg and Eddie Murphy and Ryan Murphy and Brad Pitt and all these people at that event, it was an unbelievable success. That was a bigger star power room than any room all year. And uh, and you have to admit that it they they pulled it back from the jaws of destruction because every single person was there. There wasn't a single nominee who didn't go, who couldn't go. As in, like, you know, Kevin Costner, I know, was flooding and he couldn't make it, but sure. there wasn't My, a single the, person. The, the floods of Montecito and Tom Cruise yeah, there wasn't, didn't go. There wasn't yeah. a single person. If you had asked me the week before, I would have said, I reckon 30% of the award winners will be there. And the fact that you've got people, and it mattered to them. You could see when Quinta won or when these, it really mattered to them. And that's, that's what award shows are. It's why I love the Grammys. I know that for all the criticism that the Grammys gets, if Beyonce or Harry or Adele or Steve Lacey or whatever, when they are holding the Grammy, that's going to be the photo that's going to be with them forever. And it's the line that's going to be in their obituary. I always say that. And it matters. And 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 these, you know, especially the Grammys, it, it really does. So I think, yeah, the Golden Globes really. Yeah, I think it was break. definitely not a disaster. I don't I mean, the, like you said, the, we a lot of people focused on the fact that the audience was so down, but we don't know the Peacock numbers and the social impressions were still really high. So I agree with you. I think someone will pick up that show. Yeah. Firstly, when you say it definitely wasn't a disaster, that's you being harsh. And I listen to you and you are far too harsh. We are out here doing our best. And when you say that's not a, it was, it was a success, Matt. You have to all say right, it. All right. And also listen, don't forget all the previous ratings that it's been up against were Sundays with big lead-ins of football. True. This was a Tuesday night to get 6.6 .6 plus whatever they got on Peacock on a Tuesday night with very little marketing and advertising. I, I think you're wrong on that. I think right. you're right. Listen, I, I, I am, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think we're just, it's just a characterization. So let's talk about the Corden show because yeah. you guys are wrapping that up on April 27th after eight years on the air. Um, what are you most proud of? What What is your legacy in the late night uh, pantheon? It's been an unbelievable ride. I think that we definitely, James and I, when we came with Rob Crabb, we definitely tried to look at it in a different way. We always used to say, which was true, we never checked our ratings in the morning because our ratings just showed us how well Letterman or Colbert had done rather than how well we had done. What we checked was our YouTube numbers every morning. And, you know, we we started with an unknown host in James and people saw this guy with an outrageous amount of talent and ability. 28 million subscribers, 13 billion views, eight or nine Emmys later. I think that it's been a really amazing run for us. Uh, it's crazy that the most popular segment from that show, Carpool Karaoke, was on the very first show. Yeah, it was the second one. It was episode two. We did. Oh, it was episode two. It was the first yeah. week. But you guys did it literally the second episode. And... It became a phenomenon. It's crazy. It did. And, and it wasn't overnight, but it was, you know, it was, and it became easier to book people. And then, you know, we I, Crosswalk the Musical was on the third show. I mean, these things really stuck around. We came out of the gates so hungry for it, so excited about it. And what's funny is, and I was thinking about this as we were coming to the end, like, this is how hard it is to make late night now and how I'm, in a way, how great James's achievement is, is we're the newest, I think this is right in saying we are the newest late night show on air right now. And I know it's a funny, I think Amber Ruffin is, is the exception to that. But if you think about it, Trevor started after us, Samantha B started after us, Lily, Hassan, Chelsea, Larry Wilmore, David Spade. They all started after us and they've gone. So when we go off air, we are eight years later, almost like the newest show. And that's how hard it is. Well, let's talk about this landscape because I think you have an interesting perspective on late night. Um, it's definitely at a crossroads, it seems. Yeah. And, and there are people I've talked to who think that 
this is the end. I mean, once the current crop of hosts give up those perches, whether it's you guys or Colbert or the Jimmies, that these shows are going to eventually go away or morph into something else because the the economics of a late night show are not what they once were. People are watching whatever they DVR'd or Netflix to go to sleep at night. They're not tuning in to their favorite show. And the YouTube numbers are good and the digital numbers are good. But like we've talked about, the monetization on those videos is not what you would want and may not justify the prices that some of these hosts can command to do these shows. So do you think that the future of the five night a week, late night show broadcaster cable, do you think there is a future or do you think that these will eventually morph or go away? What a question. Uh, I, I, I think what we worked out very early was we had to work out how to monetize our show outside of the rating. And that was a significant moment when we worked that out. It's when we built the bar that was in our set. It's when we got the spin-off shows and we got to, you know, we have five seasons of Carpool on Apple. I think we did like six seasons of Drop the Mic on TBS. And we worked out that as the late, late show, James Corden needed to work out how to make money outside of the old-fashioned way of commercials at 1237 because there weren't going to be much money in a 1237 commercial with the way it was going take a break was another bit that we did where we would he would go to walmart and work for a bit so we really worked very hard on making that and without that i don't think a we would have been the success that we were and b we would have been as profitable as we've been for for the network i think that it's very difficult right now because people love the hosts that are out there colbert fallon seth kimmel great but when they do go, whether people will come to a brand new host and whether you'll be able to get loyalty from a newer, younger generation who simply aren't watching broadcast television, it will be difficult. So therefore, they go to streamers. But right now, we have to be honest, these shows are fundamentally not working on streamers in any way because people's mentality when they go to streamers is, I want to watch a box set. I want to watch a drama. I want to watch a scripted show. It's the same issue that we're having with award shows on streamers. I think this all changes. And here's my pitch to you, Matt. Mm -hmm. I think this all changes when your Netflixes and your Paramount Pluses and your Peacocks, and we did it with Elton John at Disney, when they start going into live programming, which is the thing that they're obviously going after next. Yep. You can see Chris Rock and Netflix, and you can see with Elton and Disney that we made. As soon as they start doing that, and that's a success, people will start viewing the streamers. And I include the NBC and CBS streamers in that too. They will start viewing them differently. And then all that's happening is, we are back to where we were before, but the difference is there is no schedule and NBC, CBS and ABC have been replaced by Peacock, Paramount and Disney+. Plus. And that's all it is. And then when that happens, people's mentality will be okay to watch a James Corden on a Paramount+, Plus because they will be used to going there for what's on right now. But five days a week? I mean, that's the thing that we wonder about. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe maybe it will change in the way that we do it. But 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 fundamentally, we're not viewing the streamers like that. And they're not on, and then and they're not getting the ratings they used to get on broadcasters. But I do think fundamentally, great entertainment is great entertainment, as we have shown, and all the other late night host shows have shown as well. John Oliver's numbers on YouTube and great content is great content. And if it's good, it will rise to the top. That might be in a three-minute video in TikTok, or it might be in an hour-long show with Stephen Colbert. But if it's good, it will rise to the top and people will find new ways of finding them. Yeah, and I do think that for the right type of show, it can work on streaming. I know the numbers for like John Oliver, for instance, on HBO Max 
are good. And it just has to be the kind of thing that feels like you can watch it that night or you can watch it a few days later because so many of these late night shows feel urgent. The monologue is the news of the day. The guest is the guy promoting the movie that's coming out on Friday. I think a lot of that is going to go away. First of all, those guests typically don't say anything. A lot of the chat shows have been replaced by, frankly, podcasts and other more long-form things you can get elsewhere. So you don't need to tune into Fallon to see the interview with the star who's got a, a, a movie out that weekend. And you know, if you if if you guys can come up with a format that plays a little bit longer on streaming, then I think that's fine because you mentioned the Chris Rock special. Yeah, that's going to air live on Netflix. It's also going to live on Netflix after it's live and be valuable to that audience, even if you're not watching it. Same with the Elton concert. I mean, I watched that three days after it aired because I wanted to see the Elton John concert that I didn't see in person. Now, there's going to be a show that breaks through on streaming, and maybe you'll produce it, and maybe someone else will, but there will be a talk show that becomes Netflix's first big talk show hit. Speaking of the Elton concert, I got to ask you, you were there during the production of that. And that was a very significant night in the business because it was, it happened <laughs> to be the night that the CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek was fired and nobody knew that that was happening and that Bob Iger was coming back until we all got the same email that went around like wildfire. Some people thought it was fake. I thought it was fake to begin with. Um, you were there in the control room with a number of Disney executives. What was that like? Well, actually, it's even worse than that. I wasn't in the control room. I was in the hospitality tent with all of Disney executives. Oh! Bob was Bob Chapek was supposed to come. I mean, we had four seats for him. And then right. about three hours earlier, in the middle of the afternoon, he said, oh, you can actually use those seats elsewhere. He's not able to come anymore. We thought nothing of it. Um, and then we went into that tent. And it was funny because I was literally chatting to about seven or eight quite high-powered Disney execs. And their phones went off and they all walked in separate directions. And I oh, sort of God. thought, like, what did I say? What me and Gabe Turner, who I was producing it with, my partner at Fullwell, we were like, what did we, have we done something wrong? Like, what, have we insulted everybody? Is everything okay? And then one of them came back and said, oh, I think our, we're all a bit panicked. Our emails have been hacked because, and he showed didn't me. believe it. Well, this one person, I'm not saying yeah. they, but this right. one person said, we're all a bit, you know, I, I think our emails have been hacked. <laughs> And I was like, oh, man. And all I thought about was, oh, my God, what have I emailed Disney in the last few months about the shows that we're making with them right. that is going to be leaked? Um, and then it sort of kept, and then my phone went and it was all like, you know, puck updates and Hollywood Report and Variety updates saying that this had happened. And then suddenly I was like, oh, my God. And so to see all of their reactions and be stood with them where they found out they had a new boss was really a sight to behold. But then I did have to run off and get to the truck and get ready for a three-hour one ride. by one, they just kind of walk out and leave? Or were they just no, like, no, oh, okay. No, everybody stayed. No, everybody oh, stayed. Everyone, had a good, everybody stayed. Everyone had a great night and uh, and they all stayed. And I... I, you know, I think uh, it was just really funny to witness their faces as they real as they sort of program, and you could see everybody just thinking, "How does this play for me?" You know, that's what you. But it was, you know, uh, they're very great colleagues of ours, and um, yeah, but it was it was fun to be in that moment with them. That's pretty funny. All right, so give us a, a little intel drop. What's the surprise you've got planned for the Grammys? Well, that would go against the definition of a surprise, Matt. Can I make a prediction, and you can nod or blink your eyes? Uh, I think Madonna. Madonna performance, given that she's about to tour, she's got an incentive to promote herself. Uh, we haven't seen her in one of these things in a while. 
Is this like your equivalent of your over under? This is like it is, your... yes, yes. Um, and if it doesn't happen, I will forget we ever had this conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll cut it out of the pod so people can't <laughs> listen to it. In the um, I, I listen. I think it's going to be really good. I think it'll be a night of telly worth watching. I think it will be a ridiculous room. Uh, I am unbelievably nervous. Raj and I are not getting much sleep right now. Well, I will give you a free piece of producing advice: don't invite Kanye West. Uh, you do not need to worry <laughs> about that. All right. Thank you very much, Ben Winston. Appreciate you coming on the show. We will be watching the Grammys this Sunday night. Thanks, Matt. Honored to be on your podcast. I really enjoy it. 